Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. What a week we had, eh? Well, at least a day last Wednesday. Weather was up, weather was down, weather was unpredictable. And it was really sad that we did have to call off our event. And as the Lord would have it, the sun was shining. (laughs) But it wasn't shining when we were making calls and there was lightning and thunder here. And uh, we wanted to be, we really wanted to be safe. So we're looking forward to this Wednesday. And and like Brother Terry said, it's rain or shine. And if you prepare something and it's raining, just bring it because We'll have it after our uh, service time in the auditorium, and we'll have our baking contest and everything. So uh, it'll, be, it'll be great regardless of what the weather may hold. It was another kind of a, a week in Christian news, too, uh, this week. And to me, it brought up a word, and a, a word that I wanted to talk to you about on this series I began last week called What's the Big Deal? And the word is doctrine. So there were some things in Christian news this week that really made me reflect on that. And when you hear doctrine, you might even say, well, I just, I'm not even sure what that means. It's very uh, simply stated, a doctrine's a principle or a single truth claim. And that is taught. So it's generally thought of as a principle that's taught, it's a teaching, it's someone's truth claim, and there's also a broader definition of doctrine. It can be everything, everything that you believe is true. It can be the body of principles that you, uh, that you believe, whether it's in whatever sphere it might be, whether it's spiritual, whether it's political, there's certain things, certain principles, certain doctrines that you adhere to. And that full spectrum can be called doctrine, or just one single belief can be called doctrine. And when it comes to Christianity, our doctrine is what we believe. It's all that we believe. The, the word doctrine, it, it, sometimes we hear it, and I don't, we, we, sometimes we say, what is that? Where does that take me? In Christianity, there's our big belief system, our, our, all of our doctrine, and there can be single ones, as I said. So we just sung about one. We just sung actually about several. But in that uh, final song, we heard, we heard the doctrine of the resurrection. We sung a doctrine this morning. See, the stone is rolled away. Behold, the empty tomb. Hallelujah, God be praised. Why? He's risen from the grave. So the resurrection we call a doctrine. It's our sincere, deeply held belief. It's our faith. It's what we teach. And so therefore, it's one of our Christian doctrines. But as I said, sometimes you hear the word, people chafe. They don't like it. Uh, there is sort of a revulsion connected with the word. If you hear someone talk about doctrine, 
they might think, well, oh, gee, you're, you're stodgy, you're old-fashioned, you're stuck in your ways, you're legalistic, you're dogmatic, you're rigid, simply because you say you adhere to a doctrine. But the fact of the matter is, whether you just call it truth, whether you use this word doctrine, it's important. And I say it's a big deal. It's a big deal because at the core of it, it is what you believe. It's what you take as true inside of you. And as I said, this was highlighted uh, this week in Christian news, and it came through an interview. Uh, a man named Jonathan Merritt did an interview. He writes for the Religious News Service, and he has been publishing an interview. It was a three-part interview that he had with Eugene Peterson over the past week. And if you don't know the name Eugene Peterson, you might be familiar with one of his uh, popular works. He's written many, many books, but one of his most popular is a paraphrase of the Bible. It's called The Message. And although we don't use The Message as a primary preaching uh, Bible, from time to time we have presented Scripture from The Message because Peterson has stated it in some really readable contemporary language. So this Jonathan Merritt was interviewing him because uh, Eugene Peterson is really stepping out of public life. He's in his 80s. He's really taking full retirement, says he's not going to be a speaker. He's not going to be writing anymore. So Mr. Merritt wanted to interview him, and he interviewed him on July the 6th, and then he published three parts last week. Part one was on July 10th, and it was just about Peterson's personal life, uh, the fact that he's going into full retirement. And he asked him some views on dying because as he's advancing in his years, the interviewer thought, well, maybe he's thinking about this. So why not ask him? And then part two was the next day, July 11th, questions about President Donald Trump and the state of American Christianity. So uh, Peterson shared his views not much reaction to all of this the first two days. But on Wednesday, on Wednesday then, July 12th, there was the third part of this interview. The final portion was published. And these were questions uh, toward what would be uh, Eugene Peterson's views on same-sex marriage. And Jonathan Merritt thought this was important because this is a topic that's really across our nation, the fact that the Supreme Court made a ruling a while back, all of it. So he asked uh, some questions. And why would Jonathan Merritt even ask them? He said, this is his words. These are Merritt's words. He says, Eugene Peterson is one of the most influential Christian thinkers in the world, and homosexuality is one of the most contentious debates in the church today. And then he said this, what Peterson believes on this topic matters. Yeah, it matters. It's a big deal. His doctrine is a big deal because he's influential. His, his Bible, the message, has sold over 16 million copies worldwide. It's available on many online venues. He's influential. So what he thinks affects others. What he says affects others. It should also be uh, not just a big deal so broadly, but it should be a big deal to the person individually. It should be a big deal to all of us individually. And I've no doubt it's a big deal uh, to the man himself because this tells us, it tells us his view of doctrine in the uh, 
interview, what he believes, what he teaches. So I have some excerpts from the article. I just thought I'd share them with you. And uh, here's the first part, or one excerpt. So the question was from uh, the Religious Nude Service, Jonathan Merritt, what's your position on the morality of same-sex relationships? And then here was the answer uh, from uh, Eugene. I haven't had a lot of experience with it, but I've been in churches when I was an associate pastor where there were several women who were lesbians. They didn't make a big deal about it. I'd go and visit them and it never came up for them. They just assumed that they were as Christian as everybody else in the church. In my own congregation, when I left, we had about 500 people. I don't think we ever really made a big deal out of it. And then he goes on. I wouldn't have said this 20 years ago, but now I know a lot of people who are gay and lesbian, and they seem to have as good a spiritual life as I do. I think that kind of debate about lesbians and gays might be over. People who disapprove of it, they'll probably just go to another church. So we're in a transition, and I think it's a transition for the best, for the good. I don't think it's something that you can parade, but it's not a right or wrong thing as far as I'm concerned. And then there was a follow-up question. This is, again, a religious news service. This is Merritt's question. If you were pastoring today and a gay couple in your church who are Christians of good faith asked you to perform their same-sex wedding ceremony, is that something you would do? And then here was the answer, just one word, yes. Now, as you might expect, this created quite a bit of controversy. This was pretty big news last week. And as they say in the digital world, it went viral. A flood of comments came into uh, the Religious News Service website. People were commenting back and forth. It was very interesting to read some of them. Many supporting uh, Peterson, many, many others upset, disappointed. LifeWave, which is America's largest Christian book chain, they were concerned. Uh, they take these things seriously because they sell resources for all kinds of Christian authors, and they have, in their words, guidelines. They reached out uh, to Eugene Peterson in a statement, and they said, Lifeway only carries resources in our stores by authors who hold to a biblical view of marriage. We are attempting to confirm with Eugene Peterson or his representatives that his recent interview on same-sex marriage accurately reflects his views. If he confirms he does not hold to a biblical view of marriage, Life, Lifeway will no longer sell any resources by him, including the message. See, what we believe, why we believe it, it's a big deal. And I didn't find this interview and then come up with this series. I started this series last week, and I really was stunned when I read the answer where he, he actually said, we didn't think it was a big deal. We didn't make a big deal about it. Now, we may not influence others in as large a way as Eugene Peterson, but we do influence those people in whom we come in contact. This man found out very quickly his doctrine matters. It is a big deal. It is meaningful. So, after all this flood and all this uh, controversy swirled up on Wednesday, on Thursday then, 
The day after this interview was published, Eugene Peterson made a clarifying statement. And I'm giving you uh, as much so that you, uh, you have a sense of really what he's saying. If you heard the one part, now you'll hear the other. And uh, you can also find these uh, full interviews online. But on Thursday, then uh, Eugene Peterson th said this. It was an awkward question for me because I don't do many interviews at this stage in my life at 84, and I'm no longer available to travel as I once did or accept speaking requests. With most interviews I've done, I generally ask for questions in advance and respond in writing. That's where I'm most comfortable. When put on the spot by this particular interviewer, I said yes in the moment. But on further reflection and prayer, I would like to retract that. To clarify, I affirm a biblical view of marriage, one man to one woman. I affirm a biblical view of everything. So if you had only heard the one part of the story, here's at least the follow-up, the second part, where I think he really sincerely made this retraction. I take it at face value. Though it created quite the firestorm. And it really drives home a point that I'm trying to make. This, from the beginning, even before the interview asked the question, before anybody asked, what we believe, it's a big deal. And what Eugene Peterson said in his retraction that's huge too. In his retraction, he said, I affirm a biblical view of everything. Well, that's a huge statement. That's enormous. It's gigantic. What does that mean? Well, it means this. There is a biblical view of everything. Well, there is. And you might sit in your seat and think, well, are, are you sure about that? Yes, I am. I'm sure about that. There is a biblical view on everything. You may struggle sometime to find uh, how it applies to contemporary situations, but there is a biblical view on everything. And when Mr. Peterson said, I affirm a biblical view of everything, he really made a grand, a huge, meaningful, big deal statement. And if there is a biblical view of everything, can you attest to that? Can you say that this morning? Can you say it with 100% assurance in your heart? Yes, there is a biblical view of everything. Is it something that shapes the person that you are? In other words, when it comes to all areas of life, not just these colossally controversial areas, like the one that uh, started this firestorm, but on all of it. Can you say, yes, I see, there's a biblical view of everything. And then can you understand and know what that view is for all these different areas of your life? In other words, what's your doctrine? What is it? Do you know it? Can you recite it? Is it in your heart? Can you answer questions like Mr. Peterson received? Could you answer them without hesitation? Your answers are a big deal, and they're worth your investing enough in yourself 
to know where you stand if anyone should ask you a question about your Christian faith. This matters now as much as it did in the earliest first century church. In all of the first century churches, it mattered, and it matters now. We're being confronted. The church in America is being confronted. It's being confronted with the altering of God's word, the redefining of doctrines, allowing sin to be called righteousness. And I'll I'll just say many local churches have succumbed to the pressure of secular culture, and they present to the community a revised word of God to fit their their lifestyle, to fit their, their culture and their way of life. And it's a fictional presentation. It's a fictional Jesus. And this is nothing new. It is not anything brand new. It was going on in the first century churches where they had to solidify their doctrine. So as I say, uh, this is something we need to know and we need to say, yes, the Bible does have a view on this because we can look back and see in the first century they were dealing with all kinds of situations that stretched them on their doctrine and what they truly believed. The apostles wrote to the church's encouragement, yes, but also instruction. And I want to consider uh, one passage. This is just one example out of many of uh, instruction uh, about dealing with troubles, trials, people pulling others away from their belief. And it's in Second uh, John. Second John 1. Well, there's only one chapter, but we put it up there just to clarify. Second John uh, 1 verses 9 to 11. And it reads this way. I'm reading from the New King James. It says, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Now that's uh, the the New King James Version, and I used it because it did use the word doctrine. In some of our newer English versions of the Bible, New International Version and others, they will use the word teaching. And as I said, that's what a doctrine is. It's a teaching. It's something we're taught. It's something we believe is true, so we teach it. And I thought it would be interesting this morning to also take a look at the Message Bible because it's been in the news. And I, wanna, I thought it'd be interesting just to see how it reads in this same passage. So here's how it reads in the same passage. Anyone who gets so progressive in his thinking that he walks out on the teaching of Christ walks out on God. But whoever stays with the teaching stays faithful to both the Father and the Son. If anyone shows up who doesn't hold to this teaching, don't invite him in and give him the run of the place. That would just give him a platform to perpetuate his evil ways, making you his partner. I think that's put fairly well. And you notice in that passage, it uses the word teaching instead of doctrine. It's just the synonym there, but they're one and the same. The earliest churches you see here, this is, this is a letter to a church in Ephesus. It was, John was considered the pastor in a church of Ephesus. He's writing letters, and it was probably more than one location. The city, Ephesus, probably at various locations where they met in in different uh, areas, houses in particular, and that's the way it was in many of the churches. And they were battling. 
They were battling against progressive thinking. And that's no different than today. The Apostle John wrote some pretty stern and pointed words, did he not? About keeping what he referred to as the doctrine of Christ. John was a pastor. He was overseeing this church in Ephesus. His church was suffering a crisis. The the unity of his church was threatened. It was threatened because of those who came in with a different doctrine. And there was a fracture, and people had split from this church over this thing called doctrine. Earlier in this letter, the second letter John wrote, he said, beware of those who deny that Jesus came in the flesh. He said they are deceivers and antichrists. Very stern words. But they were denying something, weren't they? They were denying a doctrine. Theologians call it the doctrine of the incarnation. We simply say Jesus Christ came as a man. He was born of a virgin. He took on human form. He was fully human, yet he was fully divine. He was truly God. That's called the incarnation. And and there was a faction that was denying this in John's church, and he was coming against it. And he used some very, very stern words. These are antichrists, he said, that are swaying the church And John goes on to write, if you follow them and you do not and you do not abide in the doctrine, in the teaching of Christ, if you follow them and you stray from the doctrine of Christ, he said, you're outside of God. Very pointed words. And they they should be something that really stop us in our tracks. We should see this as not just a big deal, but an, an enormous deal. You're outside of God if you take this, this different idea. And then John went on to write, if someone who does not adhere to this doctrine of Christ shows up, don't even receive them in your house. Again, very hard. It sounds very harsh, unloving, unhospitable. But he probably wasn't referring to private hospitality bringing someone in individually to talk to them. Most likely he was referring to a church house, a house that was where where people met together as a church. And as I said, that's what occurred very often in the first century. In Corinth, there was a church in the house of Aquila and Priscilla. Paul mentions it in his letter to the Romans. He mentions it in his letter to the Corinthians. They met in a house. Uh, Also, In his letter to the Colossians, Paul wrote about there was a church meeting in a house. This is where they met. So John's saying, don't let that doctrine into the church. Don't let it in. You need to be uh, gatekeepers. Don't allow those antichrists in your house. We have to maintain sound doctrine, not just in the pulpit, but in all of the areas of the church, in all of our classes, in all of our Bible studies, And as the message uh, version put it, we need to be careful about giving someone a platform, a platform to this progressive doctrine. John, in his letter to the church, he noted that specific doctrine of Jesus becoming flesh and blood, Jesus becoming a man. But furthermore, John wrote in this passage, he who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Do you see the distinction now? You see that when you stand firm in your doctrine, you've got something. He says you have the Father and the Son. 
And now doctrine here, when John writes it, it might refer back to that single doctrine. It may, it, he might just be referring back to this trouble they've been having with those who denied that Jesus came in the flesh. Or we might take it and we might receive it as the whole of Christianity, all of our beliefs. We could read it and say, when John says, you need to stick with this doctrine of Christ, he's saying, stick with it all. Stick with everything that you've been taught. Stick with the apostles' doctrine, the things that they've been teaching you about Christ, the full body and scope of what we believe. In Acts chapter 2, we, we talked about this. The past couple of weeks, the passage has come up that at the end of Acts chapter 2, and the brand new church, it says that they, be, uh, they came together and they shared the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. The first on the list was the apostles' doctrine. Why? It's because it's important. It's something that they needed to learn and get in their hearts and, and to live. And it wasn't just a couple of points about Jesus that they taught. It wasn't just that, oh, he died for our sins and he rose from the dead. No, there's the full gospel, the full gospel, the entirety of what we believe. The apostles taught that God devised the gospel from eternity with a, a view to glorify himself by displaying all of the excellencies of Almighty God in the work of, the, of redemption for all of us. They taught that the gospel of Jesus Christ originated in God's uh, eternal purpose before creation. They taught the real divinity and proper humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. They taught this thing called the incarnation. They taught that Jesus was both God and man. The apostles taught that God was manifest in the flesh in, in the person of Jesus Christ. Why? They taught because he came here to atone for our sins. In his death on the cross, we sung about it this morning. He paid the penalty for all the sins of mankind. This is what the apostles taught. They taught that a regeneration of man was necessary, men and women. It, it was necessary to be what? To be born again. Peter writes about being born again in his letter. That's not just some words that Jesus uh, came up with and we never heard again. No, the apostles taught that you must be born again and that this birth consists in a change of heart and that this change uh, uh, is aided. It's aided by the uh, overwhelming agency of the Holy Spirit to bring about repentance from sin and then uh, get us to believe, have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? For this cleansing of sin for salvation. They taught that uh, what would follow after this act of faith was baptism in water and then the infilling of the Holy Spirit. This was important. These were the things that they taught. They taught that this was the gospel of uh, God and it was the power of God that brings this salvation to everyone who believes everyone. It wasn't restricted. It wasn't shut down. It wasn't closed off. It was to everyone. Uh, the way that Paul put it was Jew or Greek, and that just meant the whole world. Whosoever was offered this salvation, they taught too that there would be one day a final judgment when there'll be saints and there'll be sinners and they're going to be separated eternally. These are gospel truths. These are gospel doctrines. They were taught by the apostles. And there were more than the ones that I just mentioned. As Peterson put it, everything, everything. What was he talking about? What started this firestorm? It was marriage. It was this idea of marriage. And what he said about marriage, it set off this, all these, this uproar. What we believe is from the Bible. 
We believe that the biblical portrayal of marriage is established by God in, in the creation account. God created man and woman. And we believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, joined as husband and wife. It was reiterated by Jesus. Jesus went back to the creation account. And Jesus said, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And the apostles taught this. The apostle Paul wrote about it. He quoted exactly the same thing that Jesus did when Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. He taught the very same thing. And that's where we stand. That's our doctrine. We have to remember, too, Scripture also directs us to reflect the love. We, we sung about pouring out love this morning, pouring out love on Jesus' feet. We have to pour out his love on others so that they understand the gospel, so that they would see their, their need for salvation. Scripture directs us to do that with care and love and compassion to all people. This mandate no way compromises our position on same-sex marriage, that we wouldn't do that. We're called to faithfully share all the truth of God's transforming, true word with love and with humility and with compassion for others. And to offer them, just like Jesus did, to the woman who was caught in adultery, to offer them an avenue for repentance. When that woman was caught in adultery and it at the time was a death penalty sin. What did Jesus say to the woman when they asked him, what should we do? He said, neither do I condemn you. After all the people walked away, Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. But he just didn't leave her hanging there like that. He said, go and sin no more. In other words, repent, change. You need to change. Now, these are the apostles' doctrines. These are the doctrines of our faith. These are what John wrote, the doctrine of Christ. And knowing that is a big deal. Knowing what you believe is a big deal. It's, it, it should be primary. We have a simple saying here. Know the word, live the word, spread the word. And knowing's primary. You know, and there's great blessing in it. There's great blessing in knowing your doctrine. There's great blessing in it because you can apply it then. When you know it, you can apply it in life and spread the truth. We've got to know it first. We need to know it. Knowing what we claim to be true and staying firm, it brings untold blessing, unity with others. You have a safeguard when you know the truth. You have a safeguard against deception. And that's a great blessing when you have the truth deposited deep within you and you can stand firm on it when you're confronted and you can stand firm without yielding to a falsehood, that's a blessing. No matter how nice and how loving that deception may seem, because oftentimes they seem really good. To have the belt of truth and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, these are images. These are images about, really about doctrine. Belt of truth. Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. These are images in the New Testament about what's called the armor of God. 
Why do we need the word of truth? Why does the apostle refer to it as armor? We're told it equips us so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. And we need this armor. We need this armor when the devil comes. Can you take a stand without armor? Or would you rather be blessed with a full body of protection? See, knowing the truth at a level where you can address an onslaught of the world, it blesses you with your ability to share the gospel with others. Have, have you ever started talking with somebody about Jesus? And maybe they bring up one of these controversial topics or maybe even something not so controversial. But you just don't have the right words to say. They seem better versed in Christianity than you do. They seem better versed in the Bible. Even though they might twist it around, even though they make, make it say a few things it shouldn't say. Have you ever struggled with that? See, knowing the truth will bless you with a readiness for whoever crosses your path. There's power. There's power in the Word of God to overcome temptation. There's power in knowing what you believe so that you can deny the lust of the flesh and you can become more Christ-like. There's blessing in doctrine. Do you see it as a big deal? You need to see it as a bigger deal. I mean, perhaps you need to. Or perhaps you don't even know this, Jesus. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're just wondering, what are all these things about salvation? Well, it's true. It's true that he came to the world as man and he was fully God. And he did that to pay a price for sin so that we could, for eternity, be blessed. I don't know where you're at today, but I'd like to close in prayer. And if anyone, if you, these altars are open. If you need prayer, if you need strengthening, if you want to be even strengthened just because you know you're going to be confronted. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in the neighborhood. Maybe it's by that, that relative at every uh, gathering. Oh, you're still a Christian, are you? That kind of thing. And you just want some strength of the Holy Ghost and some help to, to stay stronger and to, to, to learn more and to grow and to really know your doctrine. I just invite you to stand. And if you need to know Jesus, there's someone here at these altars who will talk to you about that. And they'll pray with you. As we sing this song, if you need prayer, you want prayer, come on down. You don't need to rush out. God, God meets us here. This is his house, and it's a great blessing.